Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, April 22nd, 2021, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We have good recent results for Kansas City soccer teams to discuss with our soccer experts, Allie Trost of Sports Radio 810, and Sean Goodwin, who covers the sport for the Star. On Wednesday, KCNWSL picked up its first point of the season with a 1-1 draw at Chicago in the Challenge Cup. The Amy Rodriguez goal was, as Allie likes to say, a chef's kiss of a play. Sporting Kansas City opened its season last Friday with a 2-1 triumph at the New York Red Bulls, and we speak to the importance of Daniel Shallowy knocking home the game winner. Home openers for both teams await with Sporting Kansas City hosting Orlando City on Friday and KCNWSL taking on Houston in cup play on Monday. After a break, we turn our attention to the international game and the controversy, or should I say controversy, of the European Super League. The league, which would have included such major brands as Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester United, and Real Madrid, appears to be dead on arrival. But what was it about the concept that angered fans of the sport, including Sean, who is from Liverpool, and Allie, who grew up in St. Louis and watched Arsenal owner Stan Kroenke, who owns the Rams, move the team from St. Louis to Los Angeles. So, busy show today. Let's get started. Allie Trost and Sean Goodwin are here, uh, as they are every week, to talk soccer. And there is a lot to talk about today. Results and news around the globe, and I want to get into it with um, the the KCNWSL game last night, a 1-1 draw in the Challenge Cup Series with Chicago. And uh, what I always say about 1-1 scores is you love them when you score second. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, uh, but there was some, there was a lot to like about, uh, about the game on, uh, on, on Wednesday night, Allie, it, um, I, I, I loved Amy Rodriguez's goal. I loved it for a lot of reasons, but I want you to, uh, let, let's just kind of get into what happened in Chicago, in Chile, Chicago last night. Yeah, that goal was absolutely fantastic. Just, I mean, the punt from goalkeeper Abby Smith pretty much all the way up the field and Amy Rodriguez just, and that's the the veteran goal scoring, just natural instinct that a player like A-Rod has, right? Like she she reads the moment, she, she picks up on a miscue defensively from Chicago and then just makes them pay for it. And then the finishing touch, you know, that's just something that a veteran goal scorer like her, that quality, um, puts herself in that position and then, you know, from start to start to finish is just able to, to give Kansas city a competitive advantage off of a really poor mistake from Chicago, a team that had been, you know, of course, struggling to score so far in the challenge cup, but had defensively been playing uh, pretty soundly over their first few games of the challenge cup. So great goal from a rod, but you know that I, I think as far as what to like from Kansas City in that game, they played incredibly hard and tough, especially when you look at what they were able to do in the first 45 minutes, getting absolutely, as Coach Williams said, hammered by the Chicago team. The game was played basically in Kansas City's defensive third and and their half of the field the entire first 45 minutes. So the fact that they were able to 
to keep Chicago at bay, even despite some quality chances and Mal Pugh back on the pitch for Chicago. Um, I think that's a positive. The second half adjustment, specifically in the midfield that allowed them to play a bit more freely and, and kind of turn the tables on the Chicago team. That was a big positive. It's going to be a, a learning process, but to be able to make those adjustments and not let up a goal for a 45 minute stretch that was really putting the pressure on Kansas city defensively, I think is a, is a solid. So, so yeah, all in all a great, a great point, but like coach Williams was saying in the post game presser last night, those five minutes after you score are, that's a very vulnerable time for a, for a team. And so the fact that they did concede a goal within just two minutes, Katie Johnson, the substitution, um, you know, just, just leveling the score there. You don't, you don't want that to happen. That'll be a learning opportunity for the team, but all in all, uh, a good performance and a solid point heading back home now to Kansas City. That really is a, a, a moment after you score to bear down defensively, isn't it? I mean, just to 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 you know make that a an absolute priority to uh, to to get tough on defense. What what I loved about that goal, and I've watched on replay several times now, but A Rod's goal. She was the only person who seized the moment, including some of her teammates, right? Everybody's sort of waiting around to, to, to see what might happen. She had the instinct, uh, as you said, Allie, to, uh, to, to basically find a different gear. And, uh, and, and, and she saw it, right? And that's what great athletes do. They sort of see moments and, and take advantage of it. There, there, was, uh, there was no guarantee that that was going to end up as a goal. but. Uh, but she pursued it. She she ended up knocking down the defender and uh, and then had the great touch for the goal. I just that to me is the mark of a of a player who who is at an elite level. Well, and yeah. before Sean, before you jump in, I just want to add too. You know, especially as that attacking forward, that number nine, it is a balance of when to press really hard and when to really put on that pressure and, and when not, because you want to be able to conserve your energy at the same time. You know, it's a delicate dance, I think, throughout a game is, you know, when to really apply that pressure in certain situations and and when to to not. And I think, you know, in that, and she did see a lot of people standing around and trying to figure out what was going on, including some KC players as well. And, and yeah, again, that's just, that's something when you are a veteran player and someone with such quality like Amy Rodriguez with that attacking instinct you just do it it's it's so natural all I'm gonna say is if I am that fast like 34 years old I will be <laughs> more than happy with life let me tell you I'm not that fast at 24 years old I can tell you right now she probably sprinted about I don't know a little bit less than the length of an indoor field which I play every week if I sprinted one length of an indoor field I'd be straight to the bench and she's doing this after 80 minutes of playing. And I guess she's a she I guess she's a professional player, but man, that was a uh, that was an incredible turn of speed that you know we've seen it occasionally, but I don't think we've seen it like that yet in those first two games here in Kansas City until that moment. So uh, no, I mean I was literally again, you know, I'm writing to file by the full-time whistle. So I, I see Abby Smith's got the ball, my head goes down, I'm typing, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I look up 10 seconds later and Amy Rodriguez is wheeling away celebrating. And I'm like, what the heck just happened? That's a way for the replay. Um, and I just want to commend the finish as well. You know, she she said after the game, ah, oh, you know, I just passed it in. But that, that was the first time finish where even if the goalkeeper and um, defender has a little bit of a miscommunication, even the goalkeeper's got a second or two to go, oh, wait, 
Rodriguez is getting to this ball. And, you know, she kind of sets her body. She was in the middle of the goal. And Amy just, like she said, she passed it, passed her into the bottom corner with some speed. That was a really good finish. But, um, but now I guess, you know, before we move on, my overall view of the game was that it was a very Jekyll and Hyde performance almost. I think you can agree with that, Ali. Yeah. Um, the but, tale you know, of two halves, for sure, for Kansas City. It's a it's a sports a sports stereotype for sure, but um, but now it is a shame they gave up those last couple of minutes because, like you said, Ali, they, they really did bunker back for the first forty five minutes, and that was partly because of tactics. They wanted to get out; they just couldn't. You know, you were mm-hmm. playing two number sixes with Gabby Vincent and Desiree Scott, who couldn't really get forward, and then when Lola Bonte had the ball, she had no one to really, you know, pass to or play with. And that's actually changed this game amazing the second half. But yeah, so to hold on for 45 minutes and then as soon as you go ahead, concede, which looked like it might have been offside. I'm not seeing an angle, to be honest. The TV angles weren't great, but from yeah. when, it, when it did cook to Johnson having the ball, I was like, how is she two yards ahead of the player already? So maybe maybe you'll have better angles with your inside knowledge, Ali. I don't know, but I, it was- <laughs> I didn't. I couldn't tell again from the angles that I, that we've been able to see. I'm going to try if I and see if yeah. I can get you know some better field level angles of, of that play. And coach wouldn't talk too much about it. Uh-huh. He uh, said he had people behind the screen on the presser shaking their heads like, "Don't get into it." But um. But yeah, one other thing I did want to add that I thought was interesting, you know, not that weather played a huge factor in this game because they did delay the game. It didn't end up being a snow game. However, Amy Rodriguez, after the game, did note that it was pretty chilly, um, said the field was really bouncy. And if you watched in that first half, not only was it hard for Kansas City to get out of their their half of the field, they couldn't string more than like three passes together to save their lives. And and some of those touches did look, you know, a little bouncy, like the touch was a little heavy. I think a lot of that first half was also trying to get acclimated with the conditions and and with the surface because it did not look very comfortable um, at least 45. So again, the fact that they didn't concede a goal against, you know, some, some solid attacking talent on this, um, Chicago team was kind of surprising. And, and Sean, you tweeted this and I couldn't agree more. The fact that they went ahead and had Mal Pugh start and then sub yeah. off instead of vice versa, where, hey, capitalize on some, some tired Kansas City backline legs after all that pressure in the first half. They couldn't have anticipated maybe that the game would go that way. But I think yeah. that that was an interesting decision on Chicago's part. You know, before we move on, um, is it just a Chicago thing to have crappy fields? I mean, we <laughs> talked about it last night. We've heard about it with the fire. Heck, at youth level. Uh, you know, I've traveled up there for youth soccer. I'm sure you've done it, Ali. Oh, yeah. Even the youth fields suck. Is this just a Chicago thing? I don't know. Or Kansas City, Chicago for uh, soccer fields is what I'm hearing here. <laughs> well, if we fold Rockford into the Chicago suburb yes. area, then I then I can uh, attest to yeah. that as well. From uh, I played many a weekends in Rockford, Illinois, very well acquainted uh, with the area. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Amy Rodriguez, both goals for uh, NWSL this year. Uh, Abby with the assist, I love that uh-huh. uh, on the goal. And uh, next next up, uh, uh, Monday night in the Challenge Cup, I guess it's Houston, right? That comes to. Kansas City, the home opener for KCNWSL. Looking forward to that. All right, let's. Uh, it's it's in the rearview mirror quite a ways, but 
Sporting Kansas City uh, loved the the effort on last Friday, the two to one victory at the New York Red Bulls. And um, listen, you you guys will hammer me for this, but uh, the Sporting's first goal was one of those punishment didn't fit the crime penalty kicks with the uh, got you know the handball in the you know in the wow. box and. Gotti Kinga gets the gets the penalty kick to to level the game at one, and and what a minute later, um, a, a great run and Daniel Salloway puts it away. Sean, tell me why it Kansas City would have taken a goal from anybody at that moment. Why was it important that Daniel Salloway got the goal? It was it was great to see Daniel get the goal. It's important for him as well. Um, before I get into the Daniel pass, I do want to say you guys might might not even know this, but. So Kyrie Shelton, he crossed the ball. Perfect cross, perfect passing to Daniel. He wasn't credited with the assist. What? Uh, yeah, I right. Know, I didn't I didn't know that. How could so that be? Apparently MLS says it was a slight deflection off one of his offenders. Um, and therefore it doesn't count as Shelton's assist. MLS yeah. hates crediting the, the correct player. Like, I feel like this happens a lot with Sporting Kansas City. That's ridiculous. I, I think it was the league. Because um, I, I know this, but I didn't know. And it was when we were leaving media day yesterday. Uh, a couple of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, communications guys gave an argument about it. So they asked me for my opinion. like Patrick and Kirsten and whatnot. You know, like, yeah, who, who got the assist on that goal? I was like, Kyrie, obviously. But yeah, I know. There was a slight deflection off one of the defenders, apparently. So it was taken away from him. Wrong, wrong. I know, which I say, like, you know, like if it's a goal, if a player takes a shot and it deflects off a defender, but if it's on target, they do say it's a goal. They just say it's the, you know, it's the forwards goal. So why are we now doing that? For, if the ball is clearly on target for Charlotte, why are we taking away his assist? Is my question. Yeah, it needs to be a judgment call. It seems to me, and um, I, I guess there's no room for judgment in this in this matter. I guess no. <laughs> but, well, I, I guess it just implies then that they thought the like would it be because they thought the goal wouldn't have occurred if not for the deflection. So I might drop deflections off in New York. I don't know. He, he fired that thing across. So I think oh. deflection or not, that's getting on the foot of Daniel Shalloway. Exactly. But uh, well, no, going back to your question, Blair, I just have to rant a little bit there. I'm going to do a lot of ranting once we get to the Super League. But I need to. I need to pull it back. We're all looking forward uh, to that. Oh, I'm sure. Um, you know, so, yeah, for Daniel, you know, the, the guy hasn't scored since he got one goal at the end of 2019. Uh, he didn't score in 2020. And you look at how good of a season he has in 2018. You know, I was happy he has 11 goals and then a bunch of assists too. Um, but, yeah, especially for a guy who, you know, he's still young. He's 24. He's a winger who has, before this weekend, he scored one goal in two seasons. Uh, that's not the contribution you want from a winger. And obviously, he wasn't playing every game, but when he was getting his chances, he was making great movements in the past, again, in great positions, and he just fluffed his lines. You know, he's he worth his shot or both straight to the keeper. Um, so again, you know, this weekend was a great example of he was in a really good position. Uh, you know, he, he found out where the ball was going. He's got a goal scorer's nose, is the best way I can put it. He knows where to be. And, uh, you know, it, it may not be the most difficult finishing out two yards out, but, it'll, you know, he gets the game winner. Um, it helps his confidence in abundance. And you also, also have to remember that, so Sporson picked up his option for 2021. He doesn't have anything set up for beyond this year. 
so if he wants to stay at the club, he needs a big season. Otherwise, for Daniel, it looks like he's either you know, heading elsewhere or if he does slash continues to struggle with confidence, you know, I've been saying since last year, a guy who's struggling for confidence at his age, look at Amazou Dia, a year or two in the USL, gets confidence back. No player wants, obviously, you want to play in the majors, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, so for that could be an option for Daniel if this season doesn't pan out. But you know, like you like you said, Blair, scoring that first goal in the first game of the season is a huge confidence boost going forward. And I think Peter Vermees has to do every not everything as power, but do a lot to keep giving Daniel these chances uh to go to go forward and you know gain that confidence and get back to his 2018 form. Yeah, well, and Sean, you know, I Daniel talked about that in the post-game press conference too, just how how great having that confidence from Vermees and the coaching staff is because you always want that confidence from from your staff. And and Daniel's a player is also that really looks at himself as a goal scorer. So when that element's not there, that really just kind of dilutes your identity as a soccer oh, yeah. player. Yeah. And not to say that he couldn't contribute in other ways and, and that, you know, within the system he couldn't do things to impact the game. But when that's how you look at yourself and you're not doing that, and especially after that 2018 season, it'll be really nice. I think, you know, for him personally, but then for the club as well, I think his goal scoring was sorely missed in 19, you know, and maybe not 20 as much. 20 was just a weird season where he didn't play uh, as frequently, but 2019 was really that, that shock, you know, to go from the top goal scorer with the club that season to, didn't score a goal until September of, of, you know, that season. Um, but, you know, I, I had a chance to talk with him at media day and, and the pandemic might've helped him out just a bit in getting even more locked in and ready for this season. He went home to Hungary to, to be with family and everything is shut down there. So he really didn't have anything else to do, but focus on soccer and yeah. work out and really get ready for the season. So, you know, that, that could be something that we see just a, a different level of preparedness in the early stages of the season, not to say that he hadn't, you know, been diligent in his preparation and off season training beforehand, but when you have nothing else to do, uh, you probably maybe are a little bit than you would be otherwise. So uh, looking forward to seeing, you know, what the club has in Daniel Shalloway this year and the buildup on that, on that goal, Kyrie Shelton, we'll credit you with the assist there because that was just a beautiful cross, beautiful buildup play down that right side. And, and yeah, that was something Vermees was also happy about because it felt like, um, you know, a win for the whole staff because that's you know a play that they've been working on and something that they had been had been practicing in preseason. Mm-hmm. I also like um, I like him because he is a homegrown player and I like to show with him. Blue, yeah, Blue Valley Northwest, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> so uh, 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 you know, to get a game winner as as a first goal in the opening game has to, will have to do wonders for for his confidence. All right. How about mm-hmm. just a how about a quick um, how about a preview of Friday night's home opener, Orlando City coming to town, and uh, a big game. And one of the look, there's a, um, a lot going on with uh, with this game, but maybe the headline is there are going to be you know fans in the stands in a way we haven't seen in a, in a you know in, since 20, um, 2019. Not not a full house, but more than we had in twenty twenty. Yeah, um, we're now looking at so 2020 uh, was 18 percent. Um, 20, or I guess this coming first game is now um, 
it's going to be 35%, which is about 6,500. Um, I saw in a Sam Nellinger story, he says close to 7,000. So maybe he's he's heard something different to me yesterday. But as far as I'm aware, it's 35%. And yeah, that's the most fans I've been in the stadium since 2020's home opener, when it was obviously a full capacity right before COVID. Um, so now it's great to be getting more and more people back into the game. My roommates are actually going. Uh, just it's their first chance really to get back to uh, you know watching. I guess apart from the Royals, but he's from St Louis. He's a Cardinals fan, so it doesn't really fly. Um, but get back to watching professional sports. So it's it's great. It's great for the players. You know, Peter and me said yesterday that it, it was last year was almost artificial. You know, for large swaths of the season, there were no fans at all. And even, you know, obviously players, fans, media, everyone, we enjoyed having some fans back in the stadium, but obviously the more the better. So it'll be fun to see. Yeah, and I mean, as far as just this matchup is concerned, Oscar Pereja had, you know, a stellar first season in in MLS. And this is a team, this Orlando team, that's got a lot of high expectations riding on it. However, Sporting will likely not see a full-strength Orlando team in this game. Alex Pato uh, suffered an injury in that first game against uh, Atlanta, that 0-0 draw late in the game. I think it was 80th minute he went down with, uh, I believe, a knee tweak. So not sure if there's been an update on the severity, but would be likely that he doesn't play. And then um, they're also missing their number 10, Mauricio Mauricio Perea, in um, a two-game suspension that he's – finishing out in this second game. So he will not be available as well. And then they've got the youngster, Daryl Dyke, who's still on loan, um, just 20 year old striker, absolutely fantastic. But, you know, those are three players who, uh, who will not be in the game, but still a a talented Orlando side with a lot of threats. How about availability for sporting? Yeah. uh, I can jump in there. So, it's very similar to the last game. A few players coming back. Uh, Johnny Russell, Alan Pleaser, still both available. If we look at Peter Ramisa's track records of just bringing back players anyway, you know, yeah. he's always said it's a long season. We talked about this with Pleaser last week about the playoff situation. Uh, I think, you know, he got 15 minutes last game. Maybe he'll get 30 minutes this coming game. Hopefully, opposite to a Mallory Pugh situation. He'll come on for the last 30 minutes instead of the first 30 minutes. Um, I can see Johnny Russell jumping back in, to be honest. He's the captain. He was looking great when we saw him yesterday. That um, the media availability because we got to watch it practice. Outside goes to um, Amazu Dia is back available. So you know, maybe he'll jump in ahead of Louis Martins. I'm not sure. I mean, Martin put in a fine performance. So fair play to him against New York. Um, Kendall McIntosh looks like he could be available that's still not a 100% certain but even now I think John Pulskamp he ended the stripes in our first game and I think it's unfair especially for a goalkeeper you know if they go out and pull up a great performance in their first game when the only goal was it was a, a freak volley and perfect in the top corner he doesn't really do much about it uh, so I think John Pulskamp should keep his spot but it'd be great to have Kendall back on the bench um, and outside of that, obviously, Graham Zussi's still recovering. Uh, Tim Melia is still out as well. That's the main issues. If I'm missing anything, Ali, tell me, but I think that's it. No, I, uh, you know, I talked with Tim about that injury, and it's a, a chest injury, a muscle strain. And so at this point in the season, better to be careful with it and, and 
Tim Melia is just one of those players, right? You know, we talked about Polito and Russell. Um, you know, Vermees' philosophy has always been to, to play it safe, and especially yep. this early in the season. And if you can go out, get a lot from your depth pieces and, and win games with a goal from Daniel Shallowy and a, uh-huh. and a lucky PK, if, even if it is lucky uh, from Gadi Kinda, then, you know, might as well go on with that. And like I said, it won't be a, an Orlando team that's at full strength necessarily, but still a really solid team. And uh, it's going to be a good game. I'm excited. 7,000 ish fans. Yeah. I, I know you said we'll see more or less, but um, yeah, it's so excited to see children's mercy park. I was impressed with the noise even just with the 2,500 fans, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like now on Friday night. Okay, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, Sean Goodwin is going to support the European... Oh, no. Probably. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. All right, we are back with Sean Goodwin and Allie Trost. We're talking soccer. And it was quite a week on the international soccer stage. Uh, it made world news. The, mm. the European Super League, The uh, it was kind of years in the making, and it collapsed pretty quickly this week. I'll, I'll try to explain a little bit of, of what it was about, but Sean, please jump in and correct me and, uh, uh-huh. and then give us your thoughts. So 12 clubs, 12 of the biggest clubs, uh, biggest brands, certainly, in not, not only in soccer, but in international sport. We're going to form a, uh, an international, uh, or a, uh, a Super League. Uh, along with uh, eventually 20 teams to uh-huh. play, essentially play their own competition. And, um, and, and, and you know, we're talking about Liverpool, Manchester United, Real Madrid, Barcelona, the, the biggest names in the sport. And um, this was going to essentially put UEFA out of business. Um, the Early in the week, the, the English Premier League, and, uh, and and the and the international or the, the the national governing body of soccer in England just said no. But but the biggest uh, the the biggest pushback and blowback came from the fans of uh, of these major brands. And so here we are late in the week, and it is um, it's all but dead. Yeah. Which is dead. All but dead. And uh, I, I'm, first of all, I was just shocked that fans could have this much influence. On on a on a decision like this because that doesn't happen in America, and then I also believed that a lot of this was driven by American businessmen who have uh, billionaires who have uh, assumed control of teams uh, in in England and other parts of the world, but especially England. People like um, like John Henry with Liverpool, Malcolm Glazer with Man U, yep. and Ali's buddy Stan Kroenke, uh, <laughs> best friends, <laughs> love them. With Arsenal, all right, Sean, take it away. What were what were your emotions like this week? 
Yeah, I, I've luckily cooled down a little bit now it's dead. But as soon as we start, I'll probably get riled up again. But I just, I remember when it first like came out. So I remember waking up, I think it was Saturday morning when it first got announced. Well, it was Saturday when it first got announced. So I woke up, I pegged off in the bowel saying I saw a tweet. It was like, oh, at least this evening for England. Um a bunch of clubs are going to you know, make statements about European Super League. So I was like, that's weird, because we've been talking about it for years. But I was like, ah, oh, you're probably just going to be talking about, you know, oh, we're starting to you know, make proposals or plan it. And all of a sudden, all these tweets start coming out, including my you know, my boyhood club where I'm from, Liverpool. I, you know, like I said, I've got two Liverpool tattoos on my body. I've literally ingrained this club on my skin. Um, Liverpool comes out saying and says they are a founding member of the new European Super League. Not Gakka coming up with proposals, not Gakka talking to the Premier League. They are a founding member. And I, I just I just remember it, it wasn't disappointment, it was almost betrayal, I guess. Um, especially for Liverpool in uh, you know, uh, our anthem, our song is You'll Never Walk Alone. It's the people's club. The fans are always a big part of it. And then for them to come out and, and basically be part of a plan that is antithetical to what European football is. You know, it's yeah, the whole the beauty of European football or soccer is the fact that it's, it's, it's an open system. It's a pyramid. It's equal opportunity. You know, it, it's not that it's not the American model essentially where you know teams can tank and if you have a really bad season whoop you do we'll just go back next year you know if you have a bad season you're being relegated if you have a good season you're being promoted so then for these European super clubs quote unquote uh, to come out because 12 of them to basically say that we're going to create this league where the 12 of us plus few other founding members and then we'll have five teams rotating in and out every year can come in and you know we're gonna make this league and we'll be earning it was something stupid like over a 10 year period each club would get 3.5 to 4 billion euros mm-hmm. um and no matter how bad we do we can't be relegated like some of the teams in there Tottenham Arsenal like at least Arsenal has a history Tottenham has won one trophy in the past like four decades they're only there because they've got some money and I'm like, okay, so we're going to put them in the Super League. We're going to be curb stomped by uh, Real Madrid's and Inters and Man City every week. You're going to finish bottom of the table. And then be like, ah, next right, we'll just go again next year and we'll get curb stomped again. Um, while there's teams like Leicester, just in England, you know, Leicester and West Ham, and you look abroad and you've got Leon and, you know, Ajax and Porto and these great teams who are then just looking on like, they could be doing great. They're doing better than some of these super teams. Um, and they just they don't have a chance. It, it's just, it was abhorrent to the, the sport of, the sport as a whole, the, the whole purpose and the heart of the sport. It was just a complete backstab to the fans. And mm-hmm. I was proud, especially of the English fans, of standing up and, you know, doing what they did and basically saying, "You, this is our game. You are not doing this to our game. And like you said, Blair, I don't want, I don't want to say that American fans are less passionate. Obviously, there's lots of passionate fans of American sports, but it's it's a lifestyle in England. Like it, it is our way of life. 
And so to have these foreign owners coming, like you said, three big American owners. And of course, the head of it all was Real Madrid's president, Florentino Perez, who's an absolute danger to football. Um, to basically say, we are going to save the sport and essentially take it away from us. It was just, it, it was one of the worst things I've seen in sports. Money and brand over fans, tradition, competition. It just was so clear what what the motive was and is. And and I, I'm so glad that it fell apart as quickly as it did because if this, you know, was something that was still being drawn out, I think there would be even more um, outcry and uproar over it. But there were some quality tweets out of this whole thing. I loved one that said, um, you know, really liking this new knockout format that the Super League is is introducing and. Uh, and yeah, they were all knocked out there pretty quickly. But I was this close, you guys. I, I have a lot of Arsenal fans that are near and dear to my heart. Um, I the one thing that's always been in my way is that Stan Kroenke, formerly you know St. Louis Rams, moved the team to LA. I'm a St. Louis native. Um, didn't think I could root for a team that he was um, a part of, and and now I'm like I'm I'm I was getting close. Now I'm right back down to where I was. So. Uh, Sorry, everyone Sorry. that wants me to be an Arsenal fan. Not yet. But my absolute disdain for this. So, yeah, I'm in a Kansas City Liverpool supporters group and we are arguing about this. And there was one guy who was kind of for it. Um, he's saying, oh, you know, it's, he's saying, it's, it'll be the best versus the best every year. What's going on to like? And I'm sitting here, one, firstly, Liverpool right now isn't the best. We just lost, I guess there's no fans, but we just lost six games at home and we're in sixth place in the league. Again, behind Leicester, behind West Ham. So right off the bat, um, no, we're not. And then secondly, he was saying that it keeps us relevant. And I'm like, it's a fake relevancy. I would quite literally rather see Liverpool be relegated and be in the second or third division and play by the rules and then fight our way back up. Then be part of this this fake European Super League that, you know, it, like I said, it fakes relevancy. Its only purpose is to line the pockets of the owners and not give anything back to the fans. And we all know that for the fans themselves, I, I remember back a couple of years ago, John Henry tried to increase the, um, the price of tickets at Anfield uh, across the board and the fans revolted. You know, they stopped buying tickets to games. We started protesting outside the stadium. I mean, he brought it back down. That shows the power that the fans have. So going into the Super League, we all know that before you know it, the only people who can afford tickets are executives and politicians. And, you know, people have a lot of money. You're taking it away from the working class, which it's, it's the working class game. Um, you, the team is travelling across Europe every week. You can't... You know, you're not going to be able to have those away days like, you know, fans typically do. Before you know it, we're, we're doing sponsored games in China and Qatar and whatnot because that's where the markets are. And it's just, it, it's just ripping away everything from the fans. And yeah, I'd, I'd rather see Liverpool in the fifth tier than in this foul league. Well, one thing that I learned in following this story this week was some of the origins of these of these top European football brands, and I was impressed by that. Now, you know, you mentioned working class, Sean, and how um, how important the working class is to these uh, 
these these brands that have you know that are now so popular that American billionaires uh, want to invest in them. So uh, I I also think it's a it's a great topic to pursue on on another podcast uh, down the road. Just the, uh, the the clash of of sport culture here between uh, you know EPL and and say just any American sports league and how how differently we feel about about those. So, but we're going to, we're going to call it a day here. I have enjoyed our conversation. Oh, uh, um, but one of the reasons we do this on zoom and not on Zencaster is because I can see people who want to say, have right. something to add to the conversation. All right, Sean, jump in. You know, this is honestly just a plug. Uh, you know, as you were just saying, Blair, about the, the heritage and the origin of these teams. And like you say, it's a working class, um, it's a working class game. So for anyone who's interested, there is a show on Netflix called The English Game. It was released in March 2020, right when quarantine starts. It's only six episodes. I think episodes about 45 minutes, but just six episodes. And it's essentially the story of, it's in like the 1850s, of, you know, back in the very early days, football, it was a, a higher class game. It was like Eton College versus... Canterbury and stuff like that. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, it, it starts up in Scotland, actually. Uh, you know, these working class people, he started to play and they got just as good at the game as these, uh, these higher class, upper class people. And it filtered down through England and then they started to beat teams like Blackburn and Everton and Nottingham Forest, Coventry, uh, some of the very earliest teams uh, you know, they started paying players onto the table. And it's essentially the story of how there was an initial pushback from the upper class. Like, this is our game, working class, you guys, you guys are poor, stay away from us. Um, how, um, basically how, you know, football, the Football Association came to be and how it became the working class game. So would you really recommend it? Again, just six episodes, the English game it's called. Um it's not just about the soccer too because there's, there's you know definitely some side stories so super interesting so check it out if you're interested hey hey ali let's pick up the conversation on saturday what time is your show on saturday morning on 8 10 i will be on from 9 to 11 a.m and you can also hear me on pre and post game for the sporting kansas city game also on sports radio 8 10 sean will be joining me to maybe get a little bit you, you know, even deeper into all of the Super League drama, we'll talk some sporting, some NWSL recap in the game. So a lot to look forward to. A lot of soccer talk in 810 this weekend by yours truly. That's great. All right. Uh, Ali Tro, Sean Goodwin, thanks for the great conversation, and we will do it again soon. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Ali Trost of Sports Radio 810, and Sean Goodwin, who covers soccer for the star, for stopping by and talking soccer. Links to Sean's stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we've got another deal for you. You can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. Sports Pass is the online version of the star sports section. You get all the stories that appear in the print editions of the star, plus many more stories that only appear on the website. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month, unless you cancel. It's a good deal either way. It's a great time to subscribe. The Royals, how about their win last night? A walk-off, another walk-off hit for Salvador Perez. Our local colleges are always making news, and of course, it is never not Chiefs season, especially with the draft coming up next week. So 
How do you get it all? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. You want more than just sports coverage? Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional national news, sports, and business coverage with the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. And if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers, you send me an email, bkirkoff at kcstar.com, and I'll get you to the right place. So whether it's the Sports Pass or the full subscription, you're getting in supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Friday with another episode.